All right, everybody, welcome again to the Family Prosperity Podcast. I'm Michael Redden, and I'm here again with Mason McElvain. And today we're going to talk a little bit about, you know, what does it take? What do we need in a leader? What do we need in um, our families to really keep that enduring business going? How, how? What are we looking for in that leader? So it kind of used to be, and it still is, that the way to get a business going was that you had an entrepreneur, you had someone with a vision, and by trial and error, over time, they found something that clicked with the market. Maybe they had an idea, they talked about it with people, and they found success over time. What that leads to is that leads to explosive growth. So once you found that thing and you've got all that drive, all that potential, everyone starts picking up, your company is going to blow up in value if you can keep up with the, with the demand. And the big thing with this is everyone kind of relates to and everyone kind of sees that first trial and error, you know, that entrepreneur that builds things up by their bootstraps, right? And then once they get to this point where they built the business, things kind of get a little more comfortable, they get a little older, typically that business is going to stagnate a little bit, right? And then what does the next generation do? Well, if you're lucky, that next generation comes in, there's kind of this renewal, there's a new ambition, new vigor, it may grow and get to that next level. That's typically been how these things have grown Basically, back to uh, uh, ancient times, whether it was Rome and things going forward, definitely is the model that the robber barons went through, that the Medicis went through, that the Rothschilds went through. But times don't move quite like that anymore, right? We we have to respond to things a lot quicker. I mean, think about back uh, earlier when the internet first came out, right? It was all new. We had dial-up America online. Then we had web 2.0. Now we got social media, and we're kind of looking at the next thing that's going to be the next big thing. It just it moves pretty quick. Right. I use the word stagnation, and that's a pretty negative word because I think it's negative now. But when there's not a lot of advancements, when there's not a lot of revolution, stagnation means stability. That's why those big names, those robber barons, those Medici's, they were able to survive for a long period of time. Their stagnation were tried, tested, and proven techniques. That's that kind of, I, w- I want to say, conservative ethos. That's that, if it works, use it. If it ain't broke, you know, don't break it. But as times change more and more quickly, as there's technological advancement, social change moves a lot quicker, the rate at which you have to refresh, the rate at which the Roman Empire goes from something that makes total sense to something that falls apart, instead of taking thousands of years, takes you know, 20, 10, 5 years. If you've seen a different hockey stick graph, which is the rate at which technology improved, the rate at which society's growing and evolving and changing, we just keep doing that faster every day. So having that comfortable stability isn't really stability. It is stagnation. Well, look at this too, business overall, because the big thing to really point out with this and to show folks is the speed at which... Business have to reinvent themselves. Business have to adapt and change. Uh, prior to the, uh, I would say, maybe the 1960s, even when the Industrial Revolution came along, even it was an agrarian, agrarian culture, we had changes, but they were small changes, like they were the cotton mill right. or something that came over hundreds of years. Even the industrial area, right? From the 1800s all the way up to the 1960s, we worked on those factories, maybe there was mm-hmm. the assembly line, maybe there was a labor union, maybe there was a pension. We talked about those. Now look at from the 1950s going forward, right? We've gotten completely out of that. We went from 
pensions to 401ks and IRAs, and now we're even evolving completely out of that piece. We went from uh, having uh, carbon paper and triplicate to fax machines to emails to now tweets. And uh, I don't know if you're like me, but people may even use Voxer or something like that and talk to you in real time. You see how it kind of changes? And it's compressed. It doesn't look yeah. the same today that it looked even 10 years ago. Right. This is a great time to actually recommend a fantastic board game called Timeline. So I play this with my family, and the one that we play is the Timeline of Inventions. So just like Michael was saying, you look back, it goes domestication of sheep. It's 10,000 B.C. The next one might be 5,000 B.C., and then it's... 300, 200, 100, you get up to the 1800s, it becomes a game of, you know, years and months. You get into the 1900s, it's just, you never know. It, it, everything's happening. It's compressed to a degree that almost boggles the human mind. It goes from innovations only happen once every couple thousand of years to ha they're happening every single day. And it's not just technology. It's the social aspect. It's a cultural aspect keeping on top of what people are talking about, how they're doing it. I mean, you see the big companies doing this. Like, I think the best example of a company that has really stayed on top of societal and cultural trend, trends is like a Wendy's. They've got a Twitter account that knows everything that all the kids are talking about. They're able to tweet out something that's relatable and silly and not getting them in trouble with the older generation at the same time. I mean, they needed to have hired someone spends their entire time, you know, browsing the internet for memes. And that might sound like a little bit of a joke, but I guarantee you it's been huge for Wendy's. I mean, they're well known on the internet as a company that actually understands what's going on culturally. And that's within weeks that they have to change and reinvent their image a little bit for the marketplace. Understand how to be hip and cool. Well, let's look at this too. I mean, a lot of this stuff we've talked about, it's a little bit more um, abstract, right? Well, if you really want to get this point across, I think, look at something that we can measure. Yeah. And something that we can all measure, especially in business and with wealth, is money itself, okay? Now, if you look back to the 50s and 60s, think about what the Dow Jones Industrial Average even was. And even to get the point about how more rapid this goes, look back to Black Monday in 1987. That was a market crash. That was thought of as being maybe the next apocalypse in line with potentially 1929. Do you know how many points the Dow dropped? 508. We don't even blink when the Dow drops that now. The Dow, that 508 was 22% of that, okay? The Dow wasn't even 3,000. What's it like, 15,000 now? And that's in less than 30 years. That's how much the economy has expanded. That's how many things have how many things have innovated and the wealth that was created. And you've got to be able to react to it because if your family, if your business missed out on that growth or missed out on one of these trends completely, mm -hmm. you're done. Yeah, and it, and it missed that little improvement. It doesn't necessarily sink your company, but it's that stagnation we talked about. Each bump that reconnects you with your maybe your customer, your consumer base, your audience of any kind every one of those that bumps up that connection is is more important than, it's not even just a linear improvement, it bumps up the rate at which you're able to continue to grow your business. And every time you miss it, it just continues a downward trend. And that becomes important for legacy family wealth and things. We've yeah. talked about this with dynasties, right? Your business 
can't just survive. It has to constantly grow just like the economy because guess what? Your grandkids, they're probably going to multiply. <laughs> Your great-grandkids probably will multiply. And cost of living, everything's going up. You have to get above that curve, and there's nothing better for doing that than having an actual functioning business that operates, as you guys know. It, it, it's not the same as getting that 6% in the stock market. It's kind of what you need. And this comes back to even our iconic companies. Think about the ones who kind of hit that, right? Uh, I think the best story of that is Apple, of course, right? They came out. They were, uh, people may not realize it, but they kind of invented the personal computer space, reached a really large market cap, had a transition of leadership that kind of stagnated. Then they came back and boom, boom, boom. One hit after another, they took that big pie, and that's why they're a trillion-dollar market cap, and nobody even really remembers Hewlett-Packard. <laughs> that's true. Well, I mean, for printers, that's about all they got. So, yeah, another good way to bring this home with measurements, which we always harp on. You got your story, you got your vision, then you got how do we actually measure whether that works. So some of the statistics behind that are, well, every time you reassess your vision as it relates to your your customers and your process and that you have your high-level management meeting and talking about these things, it actually drastically increases the performance of your company from a revenue standpoint. Now, obviously, there's a law of diminishing returns. You don't need to reinvent your company every day, but even reinventing your company every 10 years, or and by reinventing your company, I mean getting all the major stakeholders and contributors together, the statistics bear out that if you do this at least once every 10 years, which I'm sorry, that's not going to waste your time. That's not going to waste a, a moment in over the long run just to sit down and think about that again. You're going to have overall companies that do that 20% greater revenue, which is ridiculous. That's a huge quantity, but it talks about, well, it points out that they have a couple things. It means they have an identity already. They've got processes in place and they're able to come together, talk about it and strategically shoot for a target. And I know you're talking about this a big number, Mason, but... I don't think it is in the bigger yeah. core of these things because when you look at these big innovation, big trends, big market expansion elements that you look at in the greater business world, they're going to reflect your family business too. And that previous model of we wait for that renewal when the next generation finally takes the reins, that's not going to be viable anymore because as you showed there, all the studies, all the predictors when we look both backwards and forwards – Say that this is going to get reinvented every seven to ten years. You're going to have this major kind of jump, right? We had that from the internet moving forward. You can look and see when we had faxes going over to email to internet. The same thing going from personal PC to device and then going forward mm -hmm. going to wearables. If you look at a guy like uh, Gary Vee, and he's kind of controversial, but I think he's right in how quickly we're going to evolve, right? Social media and things like that that everyone's the rage on now may even be yesterday's news if you want to actually survive. Yeah, yeah it's, it's actually, I, I go to working out a lot, but even the innovations there are a good one, a good example of this. So, and I think that's why these numbers do get so large, because if you're able to every, let's say, six months, assess and reinvent your workout regimen, that means you have been working out, that means you're capable of doing it. And that means you're up to date on things. But I mean, if you look at the bodybuilders of today, of even the bodybuilders of the 1950s or the athletes of today versus the athletes of the 1950s, that's not that long ago. Why? I, and that's something that seems incredibly straightforward. Just eat good, work out. But there's been so many advances in every field. 
And that's something you can see and picture and is tangible. And these people have to reassess how they approach fitness on a daily basis. That's why we get people like Roger Federer still competing at the Australian Open at the age of 38, which is ludicrous. And you get a Tom Brady. And that's all stuff that they're reassessing all the time, finding those improvements and leading to them to those exceptional outcomes. If you're slow to accept the innovations or slow to get out of that stagnation piece, Mm -hmm. look what kind of happens to you. (laughs) I mean, we're not at the four-minute mile anymore. We're not at all these other things And when we're talking about uh, athletics. I mean, think back even to that miracle on ice, right, with all the (laughs) Soviet teams and all of the uh, steroid allegations, and, and even America with the with, with but let's bring out the amateurs. Compare yeah. what's going on there now, even what's going on in like high school hockey, high school sports. Much oh, yeah. less when we get to the professionals and things like that. If you don't start with some of these new training regimens and things early, if you're not, you have to be the first initial adopter. But if you wait, mm-hmm. time's gone. Yeah, your business career cycle is just like your athletic cycle. It has a peak. It has a trough. You got to get yeah. on and be left behind. And that's a great one because it's so multifaceted because it's technology, it's culture, it's everything. I mean, the skates. Oh God, I shouldn't get. I shouldn't nerd out too much on hockey for our non-Minnesota listeners. But I mean, there's the innovations in skates now that we know about the triple point so well. Like they're flat on the bottom instead of curved. The ice is different. I mean. Uh, your high school player now would skate circles around the Miracle on Ice people, which is just incredible, little sad, but just absolutely amazing. And and, that, and the same thing's going to happen with your business. If you keep with the old skates and the wooden sticks and the constantly uh, <laughs> not following the proper workout and team regimens. And that's why they look, even look at the statistics, right? Mm-hmm. Pick any sport out there. Yeah. If we started this debate over... Who's the best ever? And we just look at the statistics <laughs> books. Everybody looks says, well, you know, there's really great stats for LeBron James here now, but it was yeah. a different game when Jordan was there. Oh, that's great for Tom Brady. But, you know, back when Montana was there, you could actually hit the quarterback. There's always that <laughs> excuse with it, you know? Yeah. But numbers don't lie. The output changes there. And that kind of an attitude and nostalgia when we go back to our business and leadership is right. what I think is going to make a much – larger difference because that model doesn't work anymore you have to be able to change rapidly Mm -hmm. and that other thing that i think that we need to be cognizant of here before we talk any further is we like our heroes Mm -hmm. okay in america we like our sports heroes there's these big figures we look at and even in our family businesses there's that founder or someone who's larger than life and they're that person we kind of put up there but you know what from Steve Jobs to Joe Montana to Michael Jordan, those people are great, but they're statistical aberrations. They are once in a lifetime, once in a generation that comes out. And that's not something you can bet the farm or your family's legacy on. It's not going to be this one person. Well, and even those people, the crazy thing, I, I, men- I mentioned Roger Federer, it was possible to be one person before. It was possible to be at the head of your science. I mean, Bruce Lee invented muscle electro, uh, electroshock. He invented the protein shake. He did everything. That made sense because there wasn't so much special, specialization and innovation. But to keep up with the times, these supposed aberrations that are the greats of their generation, 
the more recent ones, the modern ones that are still relevant, aren't just themselves anymore. Their whole team. Federer has a guy who just works on his elbow or his backhand. There's just a backhand guy. There's just a guy who talks about his nutrition. One person can't be at the top of their field in the way that a team of people can be anymore. That's where the future is. So it's harder to be that great person. There's more people around. We know more things. It happens in science. If you want to be the top of your field for palladium catalysts, you're not the person who even knows about anything other than one kind of them. So you need a whole team around. If you're going to solve problems about physics, you might need other types of people because you have to bring it together with multiple disciplines. That's the move everywhere because of the specialization, because the characteristics don't exist, and because it's just too complicated for that hero to drive everything alone. And here's, I think, Mason, where you and I disagree a little bit. I disagree and kind of agree. (laughs) Because here's the thing, okay? Something inside me says, I'm never going to be able to believe that it's not really possible for that one person who's driven with the talent and the things line up to reach that apex and do something great and go forward. I'm never going to believe that, that that's not possible, but I am also going to be a little bit more grounded and be like, you know, that's not likely to come along like that. A lot of things have to line up. It's like that old saying where people say, you know what, I'd rather be lucky than good. No. I'd rather be good than lucky. Yeah. I don't want my family... My, my, it's great if my family's lucky enough to get that rare statistical anomaly specimen that can do all that. But I'd rather them just be good and can handle it, go through, and the bits be good to go through because we're going to reinvent ourselves every 10 years. There's this major innovation probably going forward, right? And our families and our businesses have to be flexible enough so that when there's more than one person moving forward and growing with this, and maybe that one person can handle that this first 10 years, the other person's time, what their work comes in the next 10 years. It's still possible in my mind for your family producer, Steve Jobs, that can handle everything and go through an era. But are you really going to count on that and push that through? It's like Ben Franklin said, you know, mm-hmm. you've got to have everything built up because sooner or later, somebody who's not special is going to have to deal with it and <laughs> not go through. Special. I'm not going to go the other, the other way because it's not really applicable. But I think the spirit's there. Like I said, yeah. you know, so I kind of agree with you and disagree a little bit too because I, I can't get no, I'm not, that, that exceptional can't be there. No, the exceptional can be there. But I guess what time is doing is because of the rate of innovation and because of the specialization, they can reach the peak. But the peak is so much of a thinner peak. It's a more specialized and focused peak. Because right. even a Steve Jobs isn't in there working on the microchips. I mean, he's just not. Sometimes that world record is squeezing out four-tenths of a second speed more rather than right. a full minute like the four-minute mile. And some of, some of the time, the world record might come from a new swimsuit that's shark fin that gets banned. I mean, it's it's all it's coming from a, a lot of different places, whereas that used to not even... That'd be a joke. Oh, he got a new swimsuit, and now he's the, the new Olympic champion? That would Right. That, that would seem silly to people. Well, we would say, too... It's a mistake in business to try to be all things to all people. Exactly. I think it's a mistake in executives thinking they can be all things to the business. They're going to have those talents in those niche levels. And the business that succeed and the families that succeed recognize this, develop different family members to have that because you never know if the next change is going to be that thing that that person niche was interested in versus the other. And you can't be that ready expert ready to move in more than one or two things yeah you need the eyes on it too because i know 
Definitely. I, I don't watch. I mean, I watch the things that I'm interested in. My brother watches the things that he's interested in. My dad does, my mom does, and my sister does. That's more eyes on the world. And the more eyes you have that are looking out on what's changing and what could come up, the more of an ability you're going to have to move and make decisions about those things that are coming up in the future. Shoot, I mean, I didn't even really think about early on when we were trying to launch our product, the concept of influencers. My brother loved this one particular influencer and he goes, I'm just going to send him a letter. I'm going to send him a letter and some bacon and he's going to, you know, he's going to rep the bacon. It's going to go big. My dad and I weren't even thinking about that. We're going, I'm going to, you know, breweries. And my dad's trying to sell to his old buddies in the He just thought industry. bigger than you yeah. guys. That's how you do it. I mean, <laughs> I'm going to go to the breweries. Well, you're going to local influence. He just thought big. Yeah, he did. He, well, he thought for this one guy. And he's, he's, he's a YouTuber. And he sent him. This guy goes, he didn't even ask us for any cut or any special deal. He just tried the bacon. He loved it. It went on his Instagram, went on his YouTube. And boom. That launched our Amazon. That was that luck thing. You were luckier <laughs> than good on that one because he didn't even ask you for anything. Yeah, no, I think that's because of how my brother wrote the letter. He'd been watching him for, gosh, seven, eight years. And he included all these inside jokes in there, references to things that only a really hardcore fan would know. So I think uh, this guy really appreciated the personal detail, the attention, and took the time to rep it. But no, he never asked for anything. It, it overloaded our Amazon uh, which was good at the time. It's nice to get a little influx. And there's of, no way that you guys, as a family, that he could have had more than one or two people that he could have a relationship like that with. No, I, and none of no member of my family. I mean, I don't watch a lot of people that I would consider to be influencers for products like that. My brother does. He watches all the yes theory stuff, the romance. Like this was back when the pranksters were a little more wholesome than they got are now. So the older, yeah. Now they're all getting banned. Well, they're yeah, because they're terrible people a lot of times. Sorry <laughs> to get controversial, but there's really bad, mean YouTube pranksters. Controversial and judgy because they're terrible people now. I'm judgy. The, the people that got banned were this, oh, the worst two were these, I, I don't know, if you're my generation, you know this, so you can tune this out, but these two parents just started abusing their children as a quote prank channel and they eventually got arrested their kids got taken by the you know it's just it's a nightmare and youtube's been cracking down it used to be fun <laughs> used to be wholesome this guy showed our bacon off anyway that's a that's a whole tangent on that's a dark tangent yeah the, de the degradation of the youtube society but it used to be fun and i mean he's the mark the mark rober kind of guy makes the fun packages all the good old days but yeah, that was a big launch, and that's because he had his eyes out there. He had a different kind of vision, even though I wouldn't go to anyone else to find connections in the food industry than my dad. If you want to talk about local beer community, I mean, sadly, I'm your guy, and my brother had the YouTube influencer community down, and he knew, knew him, and he was able to get him to rep for us. Yeah, and so... Like we said there, you know, there's it's just too rapid for any one person to kind of pick up with. Everything is going towards management teams. We've already talked about a lot here with our family government. We want to leverage all everyone's talents and everything like that, and that goes as a whole. But, you know, not everyone's a leader in things like that. But what should we be looking for in, you know, these kinds of leaders? Because let me tell you, entrepreneurs and leaders, they're not bred, okay? They're made. Mm -hmm. One thing genetics and everything is taught about us, you know, you're going to get a random half of your genes and a random half of your spouse's genes to come into your kids. And there's a lot more randomness that's there, just like we've kind of really proven that 
intelligence basis itself, while it may kind of run in families, mm-hmm. it probably has more to do with that culture and that rearing of the family than straight genetics because we've done those studies and we've proven that intelligence itself is statistically and mathematically isn't as heritable as we thought. It doesn't really get passed down as much. And that kind of comes to this whole part too with our leaders. They're kind of made, but there are certain characteristics you can look for that says, you know, this is the stuff that a leader should have that we really have for these renewals and to keep these companies and things going. And we're going to kind of talk a little bit about those and possibly in future podcasts, we might take some of these one by one and go a little bit deeper. But that first one there that people really talk about is that they really have this overall vision and mission in life that's not achievable, okay? It's not something that you can get. It's not, I want to add another zero into the family's net worth. It may be something like, I want to end world hunger or... I want to revolutionize um, how people communicate. Yeah, and having that goal fights against a lot of the bad tendencies and stagnation that you might have. You're going to be thinking about, oh, I'm stable, I'm happy, I'm making what I wanted to. Especially as you get older, you just have different phases of life. You start thinking about the experiences you had rather than all the things you could still get done. If only you had more time and fight, fight, fight. If you have a goal that you just have to keep kind of shooting for something that drives you and something that a lot of people agree on. You're just going to keep going past when it's probably even part of your nature to do so anymore. And that's something that changes you as a person because as we talked about, the characteristics and your personality, yeah, it's it exists and yeah, it's hard to change. It's a little bit resilient, but you can change who you are and it, you can change who you are in the ways that you'd like. So by picking goals that you need to continue to work for, you're going to avoid stagnation because even if you're doing fine, you're not doing what you said you were going to do. You're not doing what you hope you could get done. So you're going to keep pushing towards that in that future. So even if you're not like growing from a revenue perspective, you're fighting towards that goal. You're not stagnating. You're walking forward. You're pushing. You're growing. If you're not growing, you're dying. We've all heard it. The entrepreneurs are the people that are hungry. The squeaky wheel gets the grease. It's the hustlers who are going to make and change the world, right? Well, let's look at this, too, from a more practical standpoint, you know. There's always going to be phases in our life and things where we kind of ebb and flow when it comes with ambition and motivation. The same thing's going to happen in your company, right? And let's look at this, too. I I was looking um, online, of course, and I read a lot of news and studies and things. And with a caveat of, you know, this is a sociology and psychology (laughs) study, so it's kind of like the food study. They kind (laughs) of change depending on who you read about eggs and things. But this one really spoke to me because I thought about the results and the people that I know. And the study said that they think there's a peak for human ambition. That human ambition peaks at 33. That that's Mm -hmm. like the part where you move over from... Hunger and value for and, and, and thirst for life over to reflecting a little bit more back on your experiences. That doesn't mean you become ambitionless or you're not going to achieve, but just like there's a peak physical, peak physical performance, yeah. um, there probably is a peak ambition level. You know, uh, my sports wrestling, right? We've got it pretty much down to a science. Wrestlers statistically peak at the age of 27. Really? 27 is the peak. That's shocking to me because. If you wanted to take a guess at when your strongest is a guy, what would you guess? 
I would guess 25, 24. You'd be wrong. It's about <laughs> 41, 42. So <laughs> that one blew my mind because I had, I had no idea. The, all the world's strongest men are in their early 40s. And it's just been shown that that's when you hit your peak physical strength. You lose a lot of that flexibility, the explosiveness. That's the thing. And, you're, <laughs> yeah. Just like boxers, your punch is the last thing to go. You're right. But we've analyzed this from Olympians on down. 27 seems to be that magical range That's where amazing. they don't have the speed anymore. They have the endurance. And wrestling's a sport that chews you up and spits you out. So it's right, going to be I, before anybody else. Yeah, that's interesting. I would have thought it was more strength. But that makes sense, too. And you got to recognize, too, that's not like life ends at 33. That's the curve. So, I mean... The height of the bell curve. Yeah, if you didn't think you were ambitious at 28, because you weren't at 33, your peak yet, then you're probably wrong. You were probably ambitious at 28, which means you'll still be ambitious as you hit 35, 37, 40. But over time, at some point, it does drop off a little bit. And you have to put measures in place, whether that's those other family members, but most importantly having the goals that you're just never going to get to. And that sounds a little sad, but I think it's amazing. It's telling you the direction you're trying to push the world in, well, which is more of an idealistic kind of view. Well, the reason this study spoke to me is I sat down and I really thought about things. And I looked at this stuff. And people that I knew from younger that kind of grew up this, and I even reflected on the stories I heard about my family members and even looking at some of the families we work with. And I think that this is correct, that... They come out charging out of the gate. They're young. They're full of vigor. And then something happens around those early 30s where some folks get a little bit more comfortable. They feel like they're established. They feel like they've maybe yeah. paid their dues and things start coming out of the end and they start to coast a little. They get a little comfortable. Yeah. Doesn't mean they're not still hungry and ambitious, but not as raw <laughs> yeah. as they were before. And that's in people's personal lives, but that happens in businesses too. And I think you can reflect on how that curve goes in businesses. And that's the point where you need someone else mm -hmm. to take that baton till you come back. Because even Steve Jobs left Apple for a while and then came back and hit it out of the park again. You need that time to reflect and recharge. And that's kind of where that goes. And maybe they get that second win. And that's why I think this is absolutely true here. Well, it makes sense because risk, I mean, it eats you alive. I have a heart attack every day about something that could go wrong because growth and explosive growth, really evolving, changing, and progressing is a risky thing. Those entrepreneurs are risky people. And so you want to have the ability for there to continue to be risk in your business, in your personal life, and everything like that, which is why it's totally understandable. I mean, you've got a family, you have people to support. Why would you be taking any risks? Why would you want to? And I'm never going to argue against partitioning that off really well, making sure that your risk is protected in some way. I mean, that's just about planning and structures and thinking ahead. But you can't cut risk out of your life. And taking those risks is what makes people better able to succeed. I mean, we talk about, to get controversial again a little bit, we talk about a little bit of a wage gap type thing, right? Men are way more willing to take risks. They're more willing to negotiate their salary. They're actually risk, not averse. They're into risk in their early careers. And it allows them to move ahead. It allows them to die more on the job, which is always great. But it allows them to find that success in life because they're willing to put it on the line. And you need to have at least aspects of your personal and business life that still embody that, even, that, even if that is a little bit scary. Well, what really gets me when I look at this is when you think about things too, looking at growth curves and growth lines, mm -hmm. they're never straight up. No. They're never straight down. And 
this really will speak to that about why you got the other folks and why this renewal comes more, I think, because I'm not worried about the ups and downs. Mm-hmm. That's not what really kills you because we react to those. When it goes up, we're making action. If it comes and plummets and goes down, oh my gosh, we notice this. We got to take an action. We got to do something. We get to yeah. remove. It's the plateau. It's we're not taking any kind of action. We're just coasting and sitting there. Yeah. That's what kills you because if you notice after those plateaus, when you break from a plateau, is it a mild occurrence? <laughs> is it a sharp change? You either get left behind big or you jump up. And that mm-hmm. comes, that you can see that in your life. You can see that in your growth spurts. You can see that even in candlesticks if you look at technical <laughs> chart analysis. That's how it works. Yeah. And that's where this is about. Always stay in hungry. You're looking for that and that leader who's always got that unachievable goal. So they'll never be satisfied. They'll never really coast if they do want to be for long. Or maybe someone else will pick up a different torch. You want to have your children, those future generations, to have those goals. They ain't got to be the same one. Just They can't be satisfied. They can't be fat and happy. Right. So characteristic one is that whole unattainable goal. Now, the second one we wanted to touch on was that whoever this innovator, entrepreneur is, and whoever these leaders are that you want in your family and family business, because everyone should embody these to some degree. Maybe you have a champion of them. Maybe someone's more into some than the other, but everyone should have it to some degree. And that's being active in the world of ideas. So what that means is that whoever's thinking about things and making these improvements and achievements, they want to tell people about it. They want to engage the community. They might want to write books. They might want to just keep reading books and tell their family and their community about them. Now, recently, my dad, I think it's because there's some big life events coming up and it made him rethink himself a little bit. Well, we've known this for a long time because he he got in his head that he'd print off an old code of chivalry and see how he could revamp it for his life. And the one that he identified as his biggest current failure, he's doing the, the goals that we're never going to reach. He's got that vision for the future. And he's doing a lot of the other things on this code. But the biggest one that he was missing out on was continuing to learn and grow and think and engage in this world of ideas. And that was on there from way, way, way back in time. I mean, this is a chivalric code that doesn't even exist anymore. And he took that really seriously because he used to read, you know, three, four books a week. He'd talk to me about it. He'd talk to his coworkers about it. He'd actually sometimes write about it. And as the business went, that fell by the wayside a little bit. And he feels like that made him lose a little bit of that entrepreneurial power. So having the ability to engage in that world of ideas makes you able to innovate. It's like that observation of the world around, but it's a little bit introspective. It's being aware and observing where you're going in relation to the world and being on top of that so you're ready to move and change and you've got a lot of fresh ideas that you can apply to the new situations, which is where a lot of that power of a leader comes from is all the things that they've soaked up, that they've put up in little competitions against other people. They've been able to refine and grow. I mean... To get into the philosophy of it, a John Stuart Mill's ideas are only good if they're able to defend themselves against other ideas, even if they're the right ideas. And so having that ability to assess that, to grow in that, and to continue learning is going to make you a much more potent and capable leader. I think that's the biggest part. I mean, the last part kind yeah. of becomes more because when you tell your dad, you know, he read a bunch of books and things before, that's not activity in 
the world of ideas. That's consumption. Mm-hmm. The people who are active are the ones who go to the conferences, go and share, go and test. I mean, there are some families who people that uh, are really active in that world of ideas may even go back to their grad school, go back to the college and share with the professors, get stuff published. That's that writing their own books piece. You go to conferences, you speak, you innovate. Yeah. And, you know, it's that mentorship thing, too. You're bouncing those things back and forth. That's what you really need is that lifelong kind of change because you can't go out there and share that goes that way. And when you, you, you find these people that have that stuff there because they'll say, you know, I've got this great idea. It worked for us. It's great. I think it'll work for everyone else too, and I'm going to go tell everyone about it. Mm-hmm. And really, I think that for me, when it talks about leadership parts, sure, there's the goal and thing that goes there too. And, and, and you know, we try to be leaders. We try to have these characteristics. It's hard for everybody to have them all. But I think this is the one that really speaks the most to me. And that's kind of kind of with my story, right? Things weren't working and I didn't like that piece and we need to dream bigger. So I looked at, you know, what the families are doing and what everyone's talking about. And we kind of involve that to the new ideas. And that's one of the big thing about our podcast. I think we do well is what is this podcast for? It's that world of ideas to engage you and to share it and to grow it and to alter it and to get it moving forward because it's a message we feel like needs to be to be had and be heard. Right. And I think this is probably the most underutilized part from our families. Yeah, I think I think that's where as as our business, we're obviously fighting really hard. We've got these cool ideas and we we want you all to have them. We want you all to utilize them. We want you to grow and push back and help us grow. But when we're talking about the families we work with or hopefully the people listening to this podcast, I don't think we've touched enough on how you should do this and how you should do it is do it all the time if it's a podcast start a podcast doesn't matter if someone's listening they will if you keep having that good idea and you get it out there maybe write a book go to that conference my dad did end up going to st thomas and talking on business it helped him coalesce a little bit and st thomas is a university for folks who don't know oh yeah it's a business university in minnesota i like to think that they're big enough for people to know but we'll, (laughs) we'll find out the comments, I guess. Well, they're not in the top 10 business schools, so you might want to tell them. Oh, I get Well, it's great for Minnesota. There's a lot of relationships out of here. So it's, it's, it's a little community. But yeah, going out there and engaging, just proselytizing, letting everyone know what you've come up with, where you're going, and trying to understand, getting that feedback for what do you think about this. All the best thinkers and the people who are active in the public sphere, you'll see when they either interview someone or they're being interviewed, they're going to go... Well, here's my idea. What do you think about this? They pass it out and then they either defend it or they refine it and they grow. And by doing that, they become much more powerful. And think about this as a characteristic for leadership, period. Yeah. Leadership and leaders, leaders need to be challenged. People need to be able to come forth and say things. And leaders need to be able to flex and share their ideas and motivate. To me... That goal that you can't achieve and this activity in the world of ideas, that's the heart of persuasion. That is yeah. what really grabs and motivates. This is what inspires. Other characteristics of these leaders are going to be how you actually implement and focus that inspiration. Mm-hmm. But this is how you get that new vision and you make that actual change to keep you alive. This is what does that. And then the rest of it just is the focusing and the meat and bones of it. Yeah. 
I think that's a very good assessment of that. So that kind of leads us to that next real uh, uh, characteristic. And uh, it's that first one that really talks about, you know, how you do it. How they do it. Because a lot, I think the first one is recognizing, I don't care if you want to call them dreamers. It recognize those people who have within themselves the ability to recognize that direction that you should go. They can recognize, hey, this is how we should renew ourselves. Well, how many businesses and things today talk about all the time? We need a social media person to do these things. And then they have no idea how to do it. That's just half the puzzle. But, you know, it can be more than one leader that does this. But this characteristic is that first one that kind of goes. And that's really that, you know, they've created or developed this way that they're going to manage a business, this philosophy of, you know, kind of accountability and ownership. They take an ownership in, you know, if something's not working in the business, what can I do for it? How are we going to do it? How do we take that charge with a step forward? Because that's really a lot of times the disconnect. I know where we're going to go. I'm excited and I'm passionate about it. I'm reading all about it, but there's no action towards it. There's no structure with it. Yeah, and they own that. I think that's a great, another part of that characteristic. They have the philosophy of management, and that means that everything ha- that happens is because of them, and more the bad than the good. If they're a really good manager and leader, when any whenever anything goes wrong, they're going, "Well, I set this up, and this is happening badly. That means I need to fix this standard. Or I need to fix how this works." And I think that's a fantastic way of going forward. We're, uh, it's going right back to Benjamin Franklin because someone that's I guess not special is what we're using today, is going to use your system. And that means that everyone that comes through has to understand how it's going to work. And whenever it goes wrong, because I've talked about everyone needing to understand the system before, but when it goes wrong, whoever set it up, whoever had that idea, who has that vision, who understands the process, has to put it on their shoulders, has to be passionate about it enough to go, this was my baby, I'm going to make it grow it's going to be better next time, even if that's just employees showing up late. Yeah, you can blame one employee for showing up late and eventually get rid of them. That's something to do. But if all your employees show up like 15 minutes late and they don't take things seriously, maybe it's a problem with your management style, your culture, what you've put in place, how you've done things. And let me tell you this, too. When I'm usually talking about this and, you know, um, whether it's with clients or families or other folks, uh, someone usually raises their hand and says, hey, you know, um, you're talking about visionaries and implementers. Hmm. Going back to Gina Whitman and Rocket Fuel. And I think that's a good surface way to kind of tangentially look at this, that this is that skill of the implementer who can put things forward, start marching towards that goal. But I think it's kind of a little bit more than that, right? Because one thing that Gina and everybody says is, you know, you can't be a visionary and an implementer at the same time. And I think that you can't be a, maybe can't be the best or a great one of those a lot at the same time unless you're one of those special people like a uh, 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 Steve Jobs. And Steve really didn't implement. Yeah. Uh, but it's that philosophy and that ethos behind it that's important. It's not just someone who writes up, a, writes up standard operating procedures and it can nag everyone to death. <laughs> with their to-do list and their tasks. It's no, we've got a reason for doing this and I have the foresight to see what's wrong and see how it fits back into 
where we're going and how we're renewing and what can I do personally rather than what the organization can do. It's that mm-hmm. personal ownership that makes it the leader because you can be that integrator. You can be a, a, a procedures and policy wonk and not be a leader. And that's the whole point of this. We need the leadership part of it. So if you think about it in those lines, there's a lot that you can be learned from and apply to this. I think it really gets you to the concept. But I think we all know people who sit back and they even have that derogatory term of being a bean counter mm-hmm. who are not leaders. But the ones who have that have a little bit of leadership to them, that's the stuff we're talking about for here. Yeah, maybe I'm talking a little bit too much to the visionaries because I'm so used to working with and working around these visionary people. A lot of people who start businesses often aren't what would be, in the derogatory terms, a bean counter. If you started this business, you couldn't just sit down count beans and suddenly you have an entrepreneurial business <laughs> behind you. So I'm talking to these visionaries a lot because what happens with visionaries sometimes is they've got this fantastic idea. They go and they do implement it and it works when they're looking at it and they're watching it and they're a part of it because they know where they're going. So they can just always tell people, well, this is where we're going. Why are you doing anything different? And the second they back off and maybe they put a bean counter in that position, maybe they say, just implement what I've been doing. It'll all work out. And then it go and it messes up and they blame the bean counter. Twelve bean counters later, they still haven't taken ownership for the process. And that's who I'm talking to because I've seen that before. And what happens then is rather than hiring another bean counter, they just decide, well, that means I can never leave this building. I can never leave the floor of my production facility because if I am not there as the amazing implementer, nothing happens. And that's not what's happening. What's happening is you didn't get uh, you didn't have enough of that passion for the process and that managerial ethos to go well this process isn't allowing people to go through it when i hire someone that should just be able to do and work towards that goal in the way i laid out it never works out it goes more beyond this is how we do it here yeah. this is how we're going to do it it comes down to you know what the family's taking our family and business in this direction. This is what the renewal piece we're going. We're building this goal of having mm-hmm. the best bacon product ever in the world. <laughs> For us, yes. And it's something's not working quite right. Yeah. What can I do to bring that along? What can I discuss? What can I ask? What can I contribute? What is my philosophy of that? Yeah. It gets it goes beyond even that personal accountability of I think we can all come together and do this. I mean, think about it. I mean, management philosophies are everything from micromanagement to empowerment, right? There's some kind of philosophy in there that ties into how they do. And that itself is uh, a big characteristic that you need from these folks that can go through that renewal. But I wanted to touch on a couple of other things with that too. Yeah. Oh, I thought I did. No, I'll cut it. Well, so the, the thing with that, too, is I want to touch a little bit on what you're talking about, too, because the last thing we want to touch on, I think, ends up being more important and more defining, okay? You were talking about how um, they kind of go back into the organization themselves rather than doing that ego thing of, this is me. I'm taking this company. I'm taking those things places. And that's the one that's the, the one we talked about last because it's also the most dangerous, you know? 
The leaders you're looking for in this that are going to keep that legacy going, they may have these other three. But if they don't have this fourth one, they're really going to head you for disaster. Right. And this ties in and might seem a little contradictory at first, so it's good to lay out. Because this last one is viewing the business as a leg- legacy as separate and being able to disconnect themselves from the business and the business success. So you have to be more of a steward to the business in a way. You're not the ruler. You're not just the leader. But you're a leader that carries on something that exists into the future and you think about it in that way. So when I talked about taking ownership of the things that you've put in place, that's not the whole business. You take ownership over what you've done. You have a philosophy, and and that could take an entire podcast to go over all the different managerial philosophies, but just having a passion for it is that characteristic you need in at least someone. But when you're a steward, you need to understand that the success of the business now and in the future is something above and separate from you. The business isn't you. It's something that can exist in a hundred years and a thousand years, and thinking in that way being able to depersonalize yourself is going to allow the business to continue and grow separate from your ups and downs, how you're feeling today, and how any members of your family are feeling. It's going to be set up about the business, and that's what's going to let it really continue on. And this is why I think this is the most important one, because let's look at this, okay? We've talked about family governance and everything before here. You know, we're big into that. And the first thing we always tell everyone is, you know, look, you've got to stop planning for that individual. We've got to have this living family, this thing bigger than ourselves that we're going to be a part of. It's going to be the family that moves forward. Who are we as a family, much less the business part? And if you take this part out, you know, even if you think about those iconic people we talked about, Steve Jobs, Bill Gates, uh, all those people that are there, they don't play well with others. That's one of the things about when you're at that level, you've got that genius. There's that one common thread from Carnegie and everyone on down. They don't play well with others. It goes way too much more into the ego part of it. And the moment that your family passes these things on to other generations and you get that person who's become the leader, who has these other qualities and they're large in life and they're hungry, the moment they take that, make it about themselves rather than Mm -hmm. about the family. We've gone back to square one. You're back into that. You're going to be one of those eight of ten that won't survive the next transition. They have to temper it a little bit. Step back. Steve Jobs was never making a company that was going to last in his family forever. It was a public company. If that's what they want, they need to be in the corporate world. Mm-hmm. But for a family business, it can't have that egocentric element to the leader. And that's the hardest thing to find. That's why it's got to be more than one person leading and fueling that vision in my mind. I, I do think I think I agree that's the most important. Because if you lose the vision, you stagnate a little bit. If you lose the managerial passion, you just struggle to manage well. If you're not a steward of the business, then the second you're out of place, the business crashes. And even worse... If you're not a steward for your family, if you are your family, like we've talked about so many other times, if you are your family, the second you step away, your family dies. If you're a steward for your family, the second you step away, other people can step up or someone else steps up. Having that mindset is what's going to allow 
something that isn't you to continue on, something that you care about, hopefully more than you, if it's your family. I don't know if you care about your business more than you, but you shouldn't. It's just part of you and your family. But your family will continue on if you're able to steward it. So as much as these apply to business, and you'll read about them in business books, and there's statistics that back them up, and we'll have podcasts on them, you have to apply these concepts to your family as well. Be a steward for your business. Be a steward for your family. And this is the one that the families have to watch the most because you can start out completely altruistic for the family and have it change. I mean, if, if, if you watch Jobs and Steve Jobs in the movie, think about it. Look mm-hmm. at how those goes, okay? He had this overarching idea that everything got started and built. he built up. But then it wasn't about him at first. It was about Apple Computer and the team and the concept and the vision. But at almost every point in his life, where something bad happened and he had alienation from people and went into a darker spiral. When he lost sight of that vision, it wasn't what was driving anymore. It was something ego-like. Look at the very first one. They went public. Mm-hmm. He started cutting out people he didn't think contributed enough that didn't do what he thought that, that they should have to deserve that founder stock. And people that had been from the beginning were there. And both of the movies and the stories talk about how that affected him and everyone going forward. Look at the relationship with his daughter. The relationship with Waz later on even. Mm-hmm. That all comes from that piece. And he would even say things to people like, look what I have done and things like that when you really yeah. pressed him on it. That's always going to be sometimes these ambitious people's inclination from carting things on down. It's keeping that in check. And that's why you got to have more than one. Mm-hmm. Kind of keep your everything in check. But it's when you lose sight of that vision because... In those times when Steve did those things, and Bill Gates has the same stuff, yeah. so does Carnegie. It's when the vision and what they're building is no longer what they're focused on. They get focused on that ego a little bit. Yeah. I think that's a good overview for today, so I think we're about to wrap up. I really appreciate you guys tuning in. Make sure to like it, share it, comment, do all those fun things. Subscribe above on the email button. Or just click that RSS feed, the little waves on the left there. Uh, It was great having you guys, and thanks for tuning in.